0: Namaste. This is Baba Shivaram Sarasvati, and you're listening to Dharma Talk. Today we're going to talk about karma, and I think that is the most practical topic we could ever talk about. Uh, In a sense, karma is a unifying principle of a whole set set of religious beliefs and practices, and we'll talk about that as the hour bears on. So, The first thing that you think of when you think of karma is, okay, well, it's completely impersonal. It's somewhat mechanical. uh, It's no respecter of persons. It's immutable. We can't interfere with karma. um, And totally impartial. Um, And then we think about the fruits of karma. Uh, In the tradition that I received, the fruits of karma are always experienced, but the deities have uh, been compassionate in looking at us in our in our existence here in the Kali Yuga. And they know that the Kali Yuga, it's the most difficult stage of the big karmic, uh, uh, cosmic super cycle. Uh, and here we are in the middle of it. The deities have been kind to us and they've given us Ritual methods for very efficient very efficiently purifying karma um, it's not a get out of jail free card because the rituals are difficult to learn and they're difficult to practice and they're very difficult to master, but they do work um and we'll talk about those in uh, a later show but this would include things like uh if you're a Tibetan Buddhist, building a stupa um Uh, setting up a statue of the Buddha, offering a mala to a statue of the Buddha. If you're a Hindu, the first thing you think of is um, puja and fire sacrifices, uh, lengthy offerings of mantras, um, doing good deeds, selfless acts, uh, acts of compassion, uh, karma yoga um uh, there are ways to purify karma we don't have to to get a stubbed toe for every mistake we make we do have ways of repairing that um, and this is one of the this is one of the most important things that you'll you can learn from a guru right that I'm not at the mercy of my past karma I can proactively address my karma and work with intention to sweeten my karma in fact, I can I can change my life to be focused on sweetening my karma at the most rapid rate possible. So you don't really have to be you know the western idea of a saint to embrace that path, right? If you if you wish to avoid as much suffering as possible and you want to seek as much bliss as possible, well then you're on this path. Um there are uh, rituals that neutralize karma with incredible efficiency I've seen this in my own life and in the lives of others but there are also uh, behaviors that neutralize karma as I mentioned doing doing good deeds uh, especially for people who can't repay you but also uh, a young I was speaking with a young monk earlier and I said I'm going to do a radio show uh, on karma. What do you think I should be uh, very careful to mention? And the young man said, make sure that you mention that patience is a great purifier of karma. Patience in everyday life. Young people, young people can hear the voice of God, and not literally, but in in, in amazing ways. Uh, a, young, a young person that has trained in, in the spiritual arts is a is a, a wonder to behold. The young man said, "Make sure that people understand. Get the message out, the truth, that if you are patient with people in your family, especially when." it's very difficult to be patient. If you're patient in public, if you're courteous and kind, that is a way of burning karma. And the young monk was right and I agree with him. I've had that experience myself again and again and again. In fact, if I'm not having such a great day, I find if I can, if I can figure out a way to make an act of love, that involves some patience on my part, my karma sweetens immediately. Karma yoga is extremely powerful. Sometimes we become too focused on puja, and nobody nobody will stress puja with more urgency than I do. It's, it's essential. When you get to that spot, it's an important thing to learn. It's a great tool. But being patient with people burns karma just like, like like gasoline on dry leaves, just absolutely incinerates it. Acts of kindness. Uh, if, if you're not great at sitting at a f- sacred fire for 12 hours, there are so many uh, uh, karma yogas you can do with the people around you, and they can be right in your own family. It can be... Um, Okay, I, I'm expressing the intention to myself. I'm going to practice the karma yoga of being very present with the people in my family when they're talking to me. I'm going to look at them. I'm going to occasionally verbalize, you know, summaries of what they're saying so they know absolutely they've got my full attention. So that's a sacred fire, right? That's an offering. I'm doing something that I wouldn't normally do. It's not super easy to do, uh, but it does get easier with practice. Uh, And if you don't live in a family, then do it in your ashram, or do it with people in your community. There are so many people that are lonely and have stories to tell, and there's nobody to listen to the stories. If there's a storyteller, an underutilized storyteller, maybe an older person, find them. That's karma yoga. And, you know, again, this isn't the path of sainthood necessarily, because if I know these things and I do them, I'm a huge beneficiary. I'm not sacrificing anything, right? If my karma is sweetened just a very small amount, that's going to have a noticeable change in my quality of life. So, uh, This is the universal religion. And oddly enough, if you're a narcissist, you can practice with us. You're not left out. You can be selfish about it and say, I want my life to get better, so I want to learn how to manipulate karma, how to manage karma. And that's perfectly acceptable. That is a path. So my guru spent uh, quite a bit of time emphasizing this with me And I'll try to give it just emphasis here. Attitudes have an effect on karma. They have a powerful effect on karma. And here's how that happens. So let's say I make a mistake and then later experience the fruit of that karma, which is negative. Uh, I can call it bad luck or a misfortune or random chance or whatever. Whatever. What's happened is I'm experiencing the fruit of bad karma. That doesn't happen by accident in a just universe. And we do live in a just universe. So here's this nasty bit of karma coming, you know, that I'm encountering the fruit of. If I react with anger or indignation or, oh, why did this happen to me? I'm a nice person. What I've done is actually created more karma. Bad karma. And it's going to come back. And if I react with anger and say, oh, why couldn't this happen to somebody else? Look at me. I'm such a nice person. Why would this happen to such a nice guy? Well, you know, karma accounts, you can have an error in your bank account, but you can't have an error in your karma account. It's a part of the fundamental structure of reality. So I know if something happens, there's some karma from somewhere, maybe it was a while back, maybe I wasn't awake enough to realize that I was generating very bad karma, right? Maybe I wasn't paying attention, but there it is, and I'm suffering the fruits of it. There was an ancient sage that came up with a, a metaphor to describe this process, and he said, if you're an archer and you take a bow and arrow and you shoot an arrow straight up in the air, it's just a wooden arrow. It doesn't have a head on it. But bang, here it comes down to hit you in the head. And you spew an expletive and say, Oh, an arrow has hit me in the head. A- every time you say that, you're firing another arrow right over your head that also is going to come down. So this is a, a, a horrible, you know, reverberation effect. It's a, it's a, it's a feedback loop, right? Uh and if I'm stuck in it. I'm going to have bad karma uh, maybe for multiple incarnations. If I can spot that feedback, if I can stop that cycle, and when the fruit of bad karma comes to my, my, you know, when I encounter it, I can say, well, now what this is is obviously the fruit of my own bad karma. I don't intend to blame anyone. I'm not angry about it. I'm not thrilled about it, but in a way, it's cool. I am going to get, I'm going to experience this bad karma with dignity and resourcefulness and emotional stability and as good an attitude as I can have. And then, once that bad karma is gone, it never has to be experienced again. Um, so this is something, once my guru taught me that, uh, I was able to identify the ways in which I had a feedback loop going with karma. Uh, and we're not talking about, you know, this is an easy mistake to make, and if, if, if no one's taught you, you don't re- realize that it's a terrible mistake. It's a cycle of suffering. So when, when negative karma comes, uh, I try to say, well, there are lessons to be learned in the process of living through this bad karma. Uh, but as long as, as long as I don't shout at the universe in, in, in hatred or, or anger and just say, that's my karma, no big deal. I'm gonna walk through it. It'll be over eventually, whatever it is. And then after that, I get to choose every single day the direction my karmic river is gonna flow. Nobody gets to decide that but me that's a wonderful liberating freedom now I guess we'll, we'll mention luck here because it's an interesting concept uh, I've had university statistics did okay in the class uh, I understand that you know in science we we have to talk about random chance and uh, that's a domain in which things have to be very tightly controlled Outside the science uh, laboratory, we can talk about what we feel we've experienced and what we've learned from our tradition. And this is what I've learned um, about luck. I don't believe in it at all. Um, There are some cultures that, that embrace the concept. I wouldn't be surprised if there were cultures in India that embraced the concept but I consciously reject the concept of luck because luck would be a random interference in karma, right? If something happens to me because of bad luck and it doesn't have anything to do with my karma, well, now we have a completely unjust universe because we don't have impartial, perfect karma that never makes a mistake. We have luck. That means, you know, it's all a roll of the dice. And I don't live in a dice-rolling universe. I live in a just, orderly universe um, where if I see a a super-duper evil rich guy and he seems to be having no consequences, I don't have to think about it or sit around and, and stew about someone not getting their just rewards because I've never escaped the... The yoke of karma, and nobody else does either. We're all subject to karma, it's the great equalizer. Um, it's it, you know, presumably, you could do a a lot of heavy duty karma yoga and build up great karma over several lifetimes, be born a rich person, uh, or a poor, evil person, whatever, and blow the fruits of your good karma by selfishness and self-indulgent living. Uh as an example, karma it's not it, karma doesn't it doesn't end until I lose all of my attachments completely and go into permanent union with the Brahman without any distinction between what was what I thought of as me and Brahman. Um but until then karma keeps going so i can be a karmic superstar and make a conscious decision to go the other direction and wreck lifetimes of bad karma so if you have good karma guard it like a treasure it's it's good karma is not a a, a you know it, it's in flux your karma is always in flux so what about your deity? What does your deity have have to do with all of this karma talk? Uh, you, I think of my deity at this point. That to me, the, the the guru relationship is is the beginning, and the guru is basically a karma uh, coach. He teaches you how to um, the initial stages of managing your karma. And then, in my tradition, your guru introduced you to your, to your deity, to your Ishtya Devada. My deity would help you find out which deity you were the most in love with, uh, and do what Tibetan Buddhists would call ritual service to that deity, which is a lot of mantras a lot in isolation, a lot of puja, a lot of fire sacrifice, constant reading about the deity, immersion in the consciousness of that deity. And then you come out of that process with a relationship with your deity. And that picks up where your relationship with your guru left off. At that point, Shiva or Krishna or Kali is your guru. And they lead you and coach you and teach you, first of all, how to successfully navigate, you know, the karmic freeway, uh, but also they teach you uh, your deity in in the process of relating to you will teach you that your ego is a construct that you made because you thought you needed it, a shell around you, and like a human guru. Uh, a deity that you're bound to in a relationship is going to help you to shed uh, whatever false identities, whatever attributes you've attached to yourself uh, shedding the notion that you're separate from Brahman. Now we're talking about karma and the question of course is going to arise Okay, great. Uh, I definitely want to have good karma. But what about the specifics and particulars? Uh, am I going to have to memorize some sort of a book of religious rules? No, you won't. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know um, about other gurus, but mine. When I said, "Tell me about," tell me. Tell me about morality. Teach me, teach me the rules of, of, of ethics, of morality, of right and wrong. And he looked me right in the eye and he said, you already know the answer to that question. You know right from wrong. It's innate, with, innate within all of us. All of us within, as our core cause, are Brahman. We're all manifestations of divine consciousness. As such, we have innate wisdom if we listen to it. If we live in a very noisy world and we're very distracted by a, a, you know, a lot of cognitive interaction with, with media, media devices and um, uh, busyness and, and distraction, the moral voice is there, but you can't hear it. So what I found uh, is to just try sitting in a quiet place. It, can, it it helps me if it's in nature. I I like to be around green stuff if I can get there, but it, but the inside altar is just fine too. Sit there and offer a hundred and eight mantras, whatever whatever your 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 mantra is. Right, your 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 vish uh, mantra to your ishya devata in my case, it's Om Namah shavaya, Om Namah shavaya, Om Namah shavaya, Om Namah shavaya. and a hundred and eight of those one trip around the mala, and then I listen. I listen to my moral voice. It's not my moral voice; it's our moral voice. It's a resource that's available to all of us, and it doesn't it doesn't speak with words with you know in explicitly linguistic fashion. It speaks in the language of the heart. It works in the realm of feelings. So as I'm sitting there in meditation, and my mind is naturally gonna drift to different interactions with people that I've had recently. And my mind will casually drift through circumstances that I'm aware of. And I have to listen to the heart of my soul and see w- see how it comments on the phenomena in my life. Am I being imper- imperfect with someone who's sick? I, I mean, am I being impatient with someone who's 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 sick? Impatience is is of course imperfection. am, am I am I looking at the weaknesses of others as a reason? to think badly of them, if there's somebody at work that isn't pulling their weight. Uh, am I willing to look at this in a compassionate way and say, you know, that Phil was pretty good before. Uh, he, he might be depressed or something. I'm not automatically just going to assume that poor Phil is, is a, you know, a, a, an amoral monster that's trying to... To get by without working, am I gonna, am I gonna go through life blaming people? Uh, and so when I'm sitting there in silence, if I've made these little petty judgments about someone, it's gonna, it's gonna be presented to me, there in the silence, there with Shiva, and I have to listen to that moral voice, and if that. If that that's going to involve a change of perspective for me. Maybe I'm not used to thinking like that. But if, if I feel a pang of conscience about something, especially when I'm examining it in silence, I need to do something about that. If there's damage I need to repair, I need to repair it. Because that's a karmic liability, right? Uh, if there's nothing I can do to fix it, what I can do is think, now, how did I end up doing this initially? And and what's warning signs that I'm about to open my mouth and do, say something stupid like this? What warning signs are there? Where, where's the, the, the yellow flag? And over time, if I practice this as, as a way of life, I don't step on people's toes quite as often and that means they don't have anything that they might kind of intuitively retaliate for, right? So I'm changing my social environment as I'm sweetening karma. This isn't just some sort of a theoretical exercise, and it's not an exercise in piety that's going to have an effect after you die. I mean, it will, but it's going to have an effect right now, it's going to change your life circumstances um, and've I've had the opportunity to closely observe this without any distractions of any kind in a pure environment over a long period of time. and this is actually true. My universe changes as my karma improves um. So we're gonna shoot for, in, in this silent time, look for where you have empathic impulses, where you feel the, the emotions someone else is feeling. Look for times when you're drawn to deep compassion and deeply understanding another being and not just looking at the surface. Um, look for times there in the silence when the perspective of the other is as important as your own perspective because when that happens when you have that experience of someone else's perspective being equally valid with your own that means that you've entered in to some level of divine union with your ishta devata and by extension with the brahman so that's a that's a green light we want to go in that direction if we, if you see your 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 spirit moving in that direction in meditation if you see it confuse like equating the perspective of the other with your own selflessness then you've achieved union of a sort, an important sort, right there with a practice that only requires one mantra, no equipment, and you know, putting some some ears on your heart, letting that listen and let it speak. Um, so we're talking about karma and the idea that, uh, that universal justice is based, is administered by karma. Uh, but that's not the only function of karma. Karma is also like a GPS guidance system for my attitudes and behaviors. So if my karma is dark let's say i go through the foundational practices uh... i've done some pujas. the the mantra of my deity is always in my mouth or in my heart or both uh... and i'm having a gray day and it's not terrible but it's just kind of a blah day I've learned to look at this, and every time I can find it. There was something wrong with my karma. Um, sometimes there's something wrong with my karma was something I did or thought. Sometimes there's something wrong with my karma is a shift in my attitude drifting into the old ignorance of thinking that I exist unto myself and for myself, Drifting into disharmony, disunion, uh, the, the old man, the, the mentality of ignorance, reassembling, uh, you know, a patchwork quilt of different kinds of, of constructs that I've, in ignorance, just kind of stuck together and then said, this is me. Well, when that happens, if I veer in that direction, the universe is very merciful. And it gives me a gray day or maybe a gloomy feeling on a bright day. And I can look at it and say, wait a minute, this didn't happen by accident. Uh, Nothing terrible has happened. No, a piano hasn't fallen on my head. Karma wasn't in a train wreck, but it was darkening. And the universe is saying, hey, you got to get back on track. Veer over. You're running off the right road. So karma is actually a valuable feedback mechanism to show me what's the the most direct path to where I want to go, which in my case, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I want more bliss, and I want less suffering. I started off with that intention, and in the process, I fell in love with Shiva. I fell in love with Kali. I learned that you can go to public drug treatment centers with a carton of cigarettes and make a lot of people very happy. There are so many things I can do. Maybe it is selfish. I like feeling good, and I like avoiding suffering. So I want to learn about how karma works. I want to develop a relationship with Lord Shiva and with the the goddess Kali. Uh, Because... this is the happy path. I'm not sacrificing anything. What I'm sacrificing is a lot of illusions, misconceptions, uh, and bad ideas. And I'm, I've I've changed. I've cashed that in for something much more pleasurable. Uh, so a brief note on on on. You know, karmic equivalents cross culturally. Um, you know, cross culturally and across time, a great many spiritual traditions um, have some sort of a notion of divine justice built into them. Uh, if you're a if you're a good person by this set of criteria, the deity will send you to heaven or one of the heavens. And if you're a bad person by this set of criteria, the deity will send you to this hell or hells or or so forth and so on. But that that isn't the tradition that I've received uh out of out of Ramakrishna's uh, lineage. The tradition I've received is that my my deity, my beloved Lord Shiva, my beloved Kalima the two that I, I hold close to me all the time, day and night, they don't want, they're not going to sentence me to anything. They have no interest in judging me. They don't get angry at me when I make mistakes. Uh, a good parent of a three-year-old child doesn't actually get angry with a three-year-old for making a three-year-old mistake. I don't feel, I've never felt Shiva's anger. I've never felt Kalima's anger. I've never felt them judging me. Now, if I screw something up, Shiva is as happy, unhappy about it as anyone, but it's, it's, it's an unhappiness of compassion because we've developed a relationship, and he doesn't want me to have bad karma. And, and he, of course he doesn't want me to have bad karma. He loves me. Uh, so every time, Every time I've made a a big misstep or a small misstep, Lord Shiva was there waiting to help me pick up the pieces. We had uh, early in the path, right? I didn't know anything. So I'd make frequent mistakes, of course. Now I make smaller mistakes, but they're still there. Always Lord Shiva is there to give me insight and to help me learn from the mistake and to help me uh, neutralize the bad karma if possible, directly right by undoing whatever harm I did, But if not possible, uh, uh, through some kind of a karma yoga or puja, or he always guided me right into where I needed to be to sweeten the karma again. So, uh, he, he's not much of a punisher. In the scriptures, you, you see him fighting with powerful asuras that are really super bad guys, but. With a little guy like me, just a little Baba, he he isn't a tough guy. He's very sweet and gentle. And Kali Ma looks terrifying. If you get a chance, if if you don't know what she looks like, uh, Google Kali and look look at her. She's very scary. But I have come to look at Kali now. I think maybe the way a very small bear cub looks at his fierce, you know, polar bear mom. Who's twelve feet tall or whatever? Uh, she's not scary to him. She's a she's a protector to him. She's the allayer of all of the sources of his fears. So uh, karma is 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 there. There is accountability, but Shiva's not. the The parental model here doesn't really apply in my particular case. Because he's not a punisher, he's a helper and a coach. And uh, sometimes, before I even have a chance to make a mistake, gives me the resources to understand that kind of mistake and to avoid making it. He's on my side. He's on your side too. your ishtevata, I promise you, exact same plan is available to you. So, what about boons? We read in the scripture about boons, and While we're on the top, you know, usually I think what Lord Shiva wants from me, I think our deal that we've got cut, is that he's going to be my guru and my teacher until I've completely shed a cloak of ignorance and understood what I am. Then I won't be uh, a weak little human being anymore, right? I won't need constant tending right now all of us are like little babies we're like toddlers with our ishya and uh it is appropriate to go to shiva or to you to your deity and say i am afraid about this situation i'm experiencing fear may i lay this problem at your feet Do you know that I've never, I've never laid something at Lord Shiva's feet, not one time, and not had an amazing resolution? If my attitude is in the right place, if my relationship with Shiva is in the right place, if my relations with humanity are in the right place, uh, he seems to be very, very willing to help. I could fill notebooks with times that I... And so now, habitually, if I see something, a concern, if it pops up in my head and it's troubling my consciousness, I can say, I can visualize Lord Shiva standing there and lay it right at his feet. I don't want to dirty his hands with my problems. But if I lay them at his feet, that's all that I need to do. Then I can focus, instead of focusing on problems... I can f- focus on growth. I can focus on how close attention can I pay to the person who's talking to me? How 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 focused am I going to stay when I'm chanting this puja? Am I going to be? Ch- am I chanting the puja? And I'm I'm, I'm I'm pronouncing things correctly? And I'm doing things. I'm performing actions in the right way, in the right order. But I'm thinking about something else. Uh, Lord Shiva can help me, he can free me up so I can worry about stuff, learning to do things like that. Um, And then in the scriptures, so this is like a a kind of a mini version of a boon, right? In the scriptures, uh, again and again, you'll see someone doing purifying austerities and the deity appears to them and says, uh, your service has been noted. Ask me for a bone, and it's yours. And I think the reason that 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 basic theme repeats again and again and again, not just in Shaivite literature, but in Vaishnavite literature, uh, all through just so many different traditions, is because when you perform purifying austerities, that's that's a term that we use uh, to describe Ritual actions that are incredibly effective at purifying karma. So we know uh, one scripture says that if you perform a shiva puja at the edge of an ocean and you, you form the shiva lingam with your hands out, out of the sand, it will be the, the karma purification or the merits of like a thousand regular pujas, uh, and so I actually did that. I read that scripture and immediately headed to the beach uh, with my bag of of puja materials, my my sandalwood and my sindoor and my, and my my ghee candles, and um, I got some some milk and some yogurt and some honey and some sugar, uh, and off I went to the ocean <clears throat> and offered the puja. And it was an incredible blessing. I could feel it happening. So I read it in the scripture. I didn't really have to believe it for very long, only long enough to get from my house to go to to the ocean. Uh, And then I could see it for myself. Uh, And so I understand the concept of boons. I've seen... uh, maybe we'll have a show sometime when Babaji will just reminisce in, uh, about about boons and and crazy miracles of Shiva. Um, not because it's particularly significant that that happened in my life. What's significant is that it can happen in your life, uh, because there's really nothing. In fact, there's absolutely nothing special about me uh, or any other sadhu. It it it's just. Um. It, once you have the tools and, and the guidance incredible progress is, ne- is, is possible and it's not necessary to be in an ashram in the jungle I, I, I wanted to know about that I wanted to know okay well India honestly India does not need my help India has a wealth of magnificent holy men I'm not from India. Uh, I love India. I love Indian food. I love Indian culture. Uh, I've met many, 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 many wonderful Indian people. But I, you know, that wasn't my karma to be born in India. And maybe, just maybe, karma uh, was guided by Lord Shiva himself and said, no, you need to be in America. My guru had a a really interesting experience. He went to India, I guess maybe in the the early 60s, and was there for years and years and years, and lived as a sadhu and had a wonderful guru, and then developed a, a following, uh, and met another guru, and they kind of merged together on their path. Uh, and then... And then their guru said, you're very happy, aren't you? And they said, oh, yes, this is wonderful. This is absolutely wonderful. Uh, and he said, well, you're going to America. And they said, well, we don't have enough money to go to America. And he said, no, you've you got two, two, two plane tickets, uh, and the Divine Mother will take care of the rest. And that's what happened. And the one thing led to another, and a series of highly statistically unlikely things happened. And these two gurus focused on their devotion and keeping their devotion pure and, and radiant and warm. And they ended up starting a, a large Hindu ashram in America. Uh, so... That was a pioneering effort, getting, you know, getting ashrams into America. The next level, the new frontier, as far as I'm concerned, is the American urban and suburban population. Now, I don't know if you've ever lived in the American suburbs, but they're very bland. They are, you know, they're not vanilla bland because vanilla has a flavor. They're cardboard bland. All of the houses look alike. All of the yards look alike. There's little strip malls and the grocery stores look alike. And you can move just about anywhere in the country and it's the same exact experience. And a lot of us, a lot of people are stuck living in the suburb. It's not, it's not hell, it's not terrible, but it's bland. And mo- importantly for our purpose here, if you're living in mundane American culture, do you have to become, do you have to adopt Indian culture in order to practice the eternal religion? And I found that that's not true. Again, I love, dearly love Indian culture. That's, if, if you come to my town, to my ashram and say, Babaji, would you like to go to a restaurant? We're always going to be going to an Indian restaurant if I have something to say about it. At the same time, this is a religion This is a spiritual tradition that really is based on me abandoning untrue fantasies and embracing reality in all of its breadth and depth. That that is the essence of Sanatana Dharma. Uh, Because as my karma purifies, my consciousness purifies, I'm able to see reality and interact with it authentically so if that's my purpose and i'm going to tell on myself right now this is how i started off i thought to do, that to be a tibetan buddhist i had to adopt tibetan culture that wasn't true i i had a very successful tibetan buddhist very uh, lengthy successful tibetan buddhist development process uh very fruitful and that practice itself, I never had an intention to practice what the West calls Hinduism. But I had a mystical experience meditating on Avalokiteshvara that directly introduced me to Shiva. And the next day I went to a, a used bookstore because I was looking for something else, and I saw a book on Shiva, advanced Shiva puja. So I went to the internet and I thought, I wonder if this guy is still alive. This is amazing. Well, he was. And I contacted him. And so uh, we began a relationship. He was a magnificent teacher, one of the I guess if you don't think you have the greatest guru in the world, you have to get somebody else because you know if if the relationship is there, you're gonna walk around thinking, this is the best guru in the whole world and he taught me and he gave me discipline he gave me knowledge he taught me how to sweeten my own karma um, let's see let's take a look at the notes I, I you know I don't script these shows at all because if i if I owe the listener anything, I owe the uh, the listener deep authenticity. Uh, so I I don't script anything. I come up with some speaker's notes during meditation, and then I bring them in here into the, the studio. Uh, and our last concept, appropriately enough, is reincarnation and karma. How does reincarnation fit in with all this stuff about karma? Uh, well, it depends on the tradition. But generally speaking uh when when conditions are no longer suitable for your you to remain in this incarnation, you will move to another one uh and if you leave you're you're going this is the the, the act of, of of switching bodies does not itself have any effect on karma so. My karma right now is a major determinant of my intellect and of my ability to choose good goals, to set healthy, good, life-affirming, progressive goals. Uh, If I have really terrible karma, my decision-making is going to be eroded, right? So if I leave this body with really bad karma... The Sanskrit term for, the, for it is "booty." I'm going to have weak booty. Uh, that means my, my intellect is going to be weak. My spiritual intellect is going to be weak. My decision making is going to be weak. So when I choose a new incarnation here in samsara it's going to be a stupid one. A bad one. I'm going to choose uh, to be born into certain circumstances based on some Irrelevant criterion and then once I'm in that incarnation the decision has been made So I want to I want to I want to take care of my karma now not tomorrow now I want to treat it as a highest priority uh, pursuit in my life as I'm pursuing all of my other goals it's imperative that my karma be considered first, right? Hopefully I'm setting goals, you know, on the basis of, I'm setting this goal with the intention of achieving it is going to result in me having better karma. Um, And so your reincarnation, your afterlife, is not something you really have to wonder about. Uh, if If I die right now, I'll pick up where I left off. I, I don't think, let's be honest about it, Babaji's not going to moksha after this incarnation. Not unless something really terrific happens in the next 30 years. Uh, so I believe if I died right now, I would choose a wonderful incarnation in samsara. Somewhere better than I am right now. Uh if I if I decide to go into a you know make a hundred and eighty degree d- degree turn uh and I'm I'm caught in the wheel of desire again, you know, uh you chase a desire and you get it, and really the primary thing is that it sets off a desire for more of whatever it is. If I make that hundred and eighty degree turn and I die with rotten karma, uh Shiva's not going to send me to hell. Uh, but at the same time, if I have rotten karma, I'm not listening to his guidance anymore. So even if he's there to say, hey, look, uh, look here, that's a rotten incarnation. I probably wouldn't go that route. And maybe I won't listen to him. Maybe I don't know how to listen to him. So my, I guess the point I'd like to leave everybody with is my state of consciousness right now is my eternity. If I hop bodies right now, it'll be just, I'll start off as a baby, just like this. Uh, so if I take care, if I watch my karma GPS signal, and it shows me I'm getting off track, and I and I get back on track, and I do this habitually, and I ritually purify karma, and I do karma yoga, I do selfless acts, it can be your husband, your wife, certainly your kids. Uh, I can offer sacrifice of patience, just like I offer rice into the sacrifice, sacrificial fire. There's so many things I can do to manage my karma right now today. And I don't have to worry about when I'm going to die or if I'll be prepared for it or what will happen after. Because you know what? In the tradition I received, what's going to happen in my afterlife is a whole bunch more of the same. So if I want the afterlife to be good, I need to be working on my karma and that will have massive implications for right here and now. And with that, I will leave you. uh, I'm deeply grateful to all of you who have chosen to spend this hour with me, uh, If you want to look for me on Facebook, I have a Facebook page called simply Shiv Baba. S-H-I-V space V-A-V-A. Not a profile, just a a page. And you can reach me through there. Um, My email is shiv.baba.sadhu at gmail.com. So if you have questions or if you have feedback about the show... Please send me an email. I want this show to be useful to you. Uh, My life is in a pretty good spot, and I don't have a particular need for publicity, but I do have a need. Someone, my my guru in particular, went to a lot of trouble to teach me this stuff, and Lord Shiva picked up where he left off, and he's gone to even more trouble to teach me things. So if there's anything, even some small way I can contribute to someone veering toward bliss and away from suffering, I'm grateful to be a part of that. May the God of the gods bless and protect you and guide you. Om Namah Shivaya.